The new Lloyd Mr. Nissan is moving. We'll be temporarily relocating to the big blue building on Highway 16 West, formerly known as Border City RV. And before we have to tediously move every single vehicle on the lot, we'd rather sell it. You can save today on our incredible Nissan lineup of cars, trucks, and SUVs. Move a new or pre-owned vehicle to your driveway with deep discounts. The moving out sale is on now at the new Lloyd Mr. Nissan. The new Lloyd Mr. Nissan. We won't sell you a car. We'll help you buy one local people local news and events local sports local matters for all things Lloydminster and area this is live with Kurt Price I'm Kurt Price with the new Lloyd Mister Nissan. Welcome to the Lloyd Mister Exhibition Ford Live with uh, Kurt Price. Uh, back at the new Lloyd Mister Nissan, the moving sale continues. You can save on a new car, truck, or SUV today. And right now at the new Lloyd Mister Nissan, do not pay for six months. There is uh, approximately about a month left at the new Lloyd Mister Nissan. This December, we are moving out to the big blue building on Highway 16, formerly known as Border City RV, and we hope to see you there. Mayor Gerald Albers is our guest today and we're going to talk about a, a few things. Uh, we're going to talk about a new parking ban coming to Lloydminster. It's the first time a parking ban has ever been implemented in Lloydminster. So we're going to find out about that and how it works in with snow clearing this winter. We're also going to talk about public transportation and the big news this week, uh, Councillor Aaron Buckingham stepping down as a councillor and uh, taking up a role as uh, fire chief here in Lloydminster, which he will do uh, shortly. Uh, we want to let you know about BioClean Disaster Services and the Master of Disaster, Jody Herbis. The important thing for Jody is supporting you and your family and also supporting community. That's a huge thing with BioClean Disaster Services. You see them around Lloydminster, you see their name on the swimming pool. And yes, if you need help with a fire or water damage or wind damage, BioClean Disaster Services is going to take care of you and your property, and they're going to take care of your family, and they're going to keep you updated with progress all along the way. BioClean Disaster Services, a local company here in Lloydminster. So if you need them, and we hope you don't, but if you do, one 246 83 26. Well, today's a big day here at the Lloydminster Exhibition because Trunk or Treat is taking place here at the Lloydminster Exhibition today. And uh, it is going to be a uh, fantastic event for the kids. I know they're going to absolutely love coming out here uh, today. And uh, got to give a big shout out for Festival last night too. Woo. When they do an event here at the Lloydminster Exhibition, they do it well and they do it tasty. Now, speaking of tasty, the Border City Rotary Club is planning a pancake breakfast for a Saturday at Spiro's. You can join them between 8 and 10 o'clock. Uh, pancakes are just $5 a person and those support the Holy Rosary Girls volleyball team. So we hope to see you there because I know I'm going to head out there uh, for sure. Uh, the Residence and Recovery Center here in Lloydminster is hosting an interactive exhibit at the Black Box Theatre at Lakeland College on November the 7th, running through November 11th. Uh, the exhibit is open Monday to Friday from 2 to 6, Saturday 10 to 5, and it is free. And then November the 10th, Michael Landsberg is the keynote speaker for Addictions Don't Discriminate at the Vic Juba Theatre, and tickets for that are just $37.50, and they feature former host of Off the Record, Michael Landsberg. 
Landsberg and uh, him talking about uh, his struggles. And he's also the founder of Sick Not Weak. So he's going to be talking about that as well. And I know the mayor will uh, like this. He may even uh, give a shout out for this. But uh, Saturday in Lloydminster, all over the city, Poppy Day. And that's where they encourage you to put on a poppy. You'll see them when you're entering major businesses, uh, co-op, Sobeys. I'm sure that uh, if you're going into any uh, business, major business here in Lloydminster, you're going to see volunteers from the Lloydminster Legion and area selling those poppies. And we just encourage you to put one on as we get ready for November the 11th, which is a Saturday this year. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Paul will be broadcasting again, Forges Media will be broadcasting the event again this year and it's once again back in the jj giesbrook auditorium at the lloyd Compson high school and yes it is a saturday this year poppies on uh starting actually tomorrow is the first day but saturday poppy day here in lloydminster we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to talk with mayor gerald albers but i do want to remind you about our friends at superior water superior water is proud to provide you with the purest drinking water possible i drink it because i like the taste i believe it is superior to anyone else's water and it's just three dollars a big blue jug and with that big blue jug you get a nice consistent taste and they've got the ice for the crown royal at just two dollars a bag two locations in lloydminster find them beside sheepskin loft on 57th avenue and they also have their coin operated location beside 7-eleven on highway 17 south and by the way they are open saturdays and sundays we're coming right back with mayor gerald albers at lloydminster and district co-op membership matters more because being part of a co-op means you're connected to something bigger than yourself. From long-held legacy by those who built our communities to people you call family, friends, and neighbors. When you're a Lloyd Co-op member, you're an owner in a local business that prides itself on purpose alongside profit. You earn cash back, you help support causes that matter most, and you're building a better way of life for the next generation. Membership matters more. I'm Brian Zintruck of PipelineOnline.ca. I used to be a pipeliner and I've spent the last 15 years reporting on energy in Saskatchewan. PipelineOnline.ca provides comprehensive coverage of light oil, heavy oil, lithium, helium, power production including coal, wind, solar, geothermal, natural gas and nuclear. There's a lot happening in Saskatchewan's energy sector, and Pipeline Online is there for all of it. No one else comes even close. It's more than just taxes at LNACPA. Assurance, accounting, retirement planning, estate planning, business consulting, financial consulting, farm program support, and bookkeeping. But yes, there is always taxes. The team at LNACPA is committed to helping you achieve your best results and will be there to assist you every step of the way. LNACPA, with offices in Provost, Vermilion, and Lloydminster. At Jason Arden Associates Cooperators, we're proud to be a top-rated local insurance company that offers flexible solutions and expert advice for all your insurance and investment needs. We'll work with you to tailor your insurance specific to your needs, and we offer investment advice that always puts you first. At Cooperators, one of our core values is to support the communities we live in. When you support Jason Arden and Associates Cooperators, you are supporting local nonprofits and initiatives. Since 2020, we have donated 60,000 to local nonprofits, youth sponsorships, and various special projects. When was the last time your insurance company did that? 
How can you help support the oil and gas industry and jobs in Western Canada? The answer is closer than you think. Sell your scrap metals to PWM Steel. PWM sells scrap iron to Evraz, located in Regina. Evraz's number one customer is the energy sector, building pipes and plates for the oil and gas industry. PWM Steel is your locally owned metal recycler and steel service center in the area. Plus, they're a strong supporter of the community. PWM Steel, your top steel supplier for Alberta and Saskatchewan for 40 years. At Diamond 7 Meats, we work with local farm families to provide a high-quality product and a great selection for you. Try our mouth-watering Smokies, pulled pork, roast beef, and more. Made pure and natural with no additives or fillers. We offer custom processing, and our experienced team works for you to provide a selection of sausage, burgers, and jerkies made to your specifications. Take your grilling to the next level with a Yoder Smoker. Complete the grilling experience with a Canadian-made, award-winning line of House Q barbecue sauces. We're locally owned and operated, and we look forward to seeing you today. Welcome back. We're at the Lloydminster Exhibition today, and Mayor Gerald Albers is joining us. A, a huge council meeting earlier this week, and uh, some information to go over from that council meeting, plus the uh, governance uh, meeting that was held the week, the week before. before. It's been a busy two weeks at City Council. You really have been busy. I want to start with the big news, and that is that uh, Councillor Aaron Buckingham has resigned his role. He was in the seventh year of doing eight years in a second year term. Uh, so Councillor Buckingham has resigned to become the fire chief here in Lloydminster, and I don't think there's anybody who could uh, dispute his love of the city, uh, his passion for uh, fire department. He's been with the RM Britannia for 25 years, and uh, now he's made the decision to step aside as a council member. Um, did you see this coming, Gerald? So, uh, Kurt, thanks very much for this. Uh, uh, Aaron and I had the opportunity to discuss his application, and he says, I'm, I'm really seriously considering it. And knowing Aaron's uh, background with the fire service, like you say, 25 plus years, uh, Deputy Chief of the Britannia Fire Department, involved with the Saskatchewan Firefighters Association. Aaron's got a huge commitment to the fire service. Uh, certainly, uh, we discussed it, and uh, from the perspective before he even applied, and said, you know, there will be other people applying, and he was quite aware of that. And uh, due course, um, administration. This is a uh, one of those things that people often wonder. City council hires people. We have one employee in the entire city that reports to city council, and that's the city manager, Dion Pollard. We hired Dion, and we have the ability to, if uh, we were to make a change, that would be the decision of city council and only city council. And that's the only employee that we have any involvement with directly from that perspective. Uh, so the process they, uh, is you would apply just as any other position that comes open to the city. Uh, the HR team does their thing with the management that's that individual will be responsible for, which is the city clerk uh, from that perspective. They went through the interview process. I understand there was a number of applicants. Uh, there was, I believe, four interviews from what the information I've been able to obtain. And again, this is they filled me in just so that we had some uh, idea of what was going on. And at the end of the day, uh, Aaron Buckingham was the best candidate for the job. So that created a little bit of discussion from that perspective internally. How do we proceed following what's been laid out in the bylaws as a council member? Because he's not he's coming on as an employee, not a contractor. Uh, from that perspective, all, all due diligence was followed. So his resignation was presented to the city clerk yesterday morning before lunch. From that perspective, uh, administration brought it forward. And to, to be very clear, tra open and transparent, the process was dealt with yesterday. Uh, 
council had the ability to uh, vote yes or no and they voted positively to that perspective so the administration can continue on with their job. Well, I don't think anybody can... can um, dispute Aaron's commitment to the city of Lloyd Minster for sure. So I, I look at this as a long-term hire. I, I think Aaron, it's not like he's going to leave in a year or two. He's, he's showing he kind of calls Lloyd home. <laughs> Absolutely. And, I, you know, it's something that uh, the city manager and I do discuss when uh, certainly his executive team is his team uh, from that perspective. And when we bring people onto that team, even members uh, working for the city, some of them live in the community, some live adjacent to the community. When you get into those higher management positions, fire chief and Included. Sometimes, you know, people have other considerations for the job. And, you know, having Aaron living in the community, being a member of the community, being involved in the community, uh, certainly bode well from my perspective. But I think, you know, that wasn't, uh, those are parts of that mm -hmm. commitment where, where you see, because you always like to see people involved. No different than members of the RCMP when they come to the community. It's always great. And we are very fortunate to have members that are involved in many different aspects of the community. Part of their day job, partly not day their, their job, yet they want to be part of the community. And you find that with all professions. No people at ATCO, no people at different companies in the community that uh, stand out and are volunteers and are present in the community and you always see them there. And that's, those speak to the volumes of when we get great people. That's opened up a hole on city council. Will that be filled? Like, do you have to fill that role immediately? So, so administration gave us uh, some information yesterday after we uh, after the, the the vote had occurred discussing that. So basically, there is a position, uh, a vacancy on city council. Now, this is where it gets very interesting. You mentioned seven years. So we are now technically just over a year away from the next municipal election, November thirteenth, twenty twenty four. We administration will be reaching out to the Minister of Government Relations, uh, seeking direction as to if he will give us that exemption uh, not to hold a by-election, because the process goes, we'd have to go through a nomination period and uh, all sorts of pieces. So the earliest I understand a by-election could be held was late January, early February, following all the steps that have to go through, because we have to give notice of a, a poll, or a notice of for candidates first, then all that process, and then time to campaign and things like that. So it's going to be, we hope to have more information on November 6th and uh, a decision from the minister, uh, some direction that way the administration can bring forward to council to bring, uh, bring us uh, up to date. Uh, it's certainly a challenge from that perspective. It's a tough time to have to campaign uh, over Christmas as an example, as well as there is a financial implication if we have to have a by-election. We never, we have, I believe, budgeted for a by-election each year. Because you never know, uh, but it's uh, twenty thousand dollars is the number that's been provided by administration, and it's like I say, if we don't have to spend it, that'd be great. Uh, from council, we usually don't have a quorum issue. Uh, you have to have at least four members of council present, and. I think we've had, uh, on average, six, if not seven, in most meetings. Occasionally, someone has to uh, attend if they're not feeling well or uh, have a real prior commitment that they can't be at the city, that they can come in virtually. But uh, no, I th we'll wait and see. Stay tuned for November 6th meeting. We, uh, we'll get some more information back from uh, city administration. Does, uh, does his resignation put more pressure on the rest of the city council? 
There's just a little bit more pressure. So we all have committee responsibilities. Um, I ask different members of council to express uh, that have interests in various organizations. We are on different boards. I can tell you about some of my board appointments. Chamber of Commerce, an example, uh, sit on the Health Advisory Committee from that perspective, and a few others. Uh, Aaron had some of those. Council members had some of those as well. And what we'll do is we'll. Uh, I've talked to individual councillors and said, "Hey, would you mind picking up this committee?" On this committee, until we go through this at December, we'll review the list again, and uh, going forward, that committee list will be revised. And the committees that Aaron was on, we'll find someone to find uh, fill into those committees to ensure that there's a city representative at those events. And uh, I really appreciate council this morning. We already had a couple councillors reach out and say, "No, uh, I've been thinking about this last night." We think about these things after the fact too. Uh, do we have some appointments that we need to fill? Can I help? And I really appreciate my other fellow council members that have said hey I can take that committee if uh, you, so you don't because one of the interesting parts if you've ever been a chair of a, or a president of an organization technically you are on every committee that organization has as the chair or president which as mayor I fall into that so I'm glad council has stepped up and said oh I'll take that one off your plate and that one otherwise Christine might not see me for the next week or so. <laughs> Um, something else that came up uh, yesterday, and uh, that's uh, a parking ban that's going to be put in place. We saw some snow earlier this yep. week, a little bit too early. At least we didn't get what other places other got. Other places got, absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad about that. But uh, how's a parking ban uh, change from what's currently in place? Okay, so currently there is um, there's a bylaw that says you need to be off the street, I believe, in se no vehicle can sit for 72 hours, trailers cannot be unhooked for 48 hours. Uh, one of the challenges that we often have is our signs go up each and every winter. and For people, snow removal. For snow removal. And here, giving you notice that the plows are coming and people don't move their vehicles. So our crews uh, hit the street and they, they go at it pretty hard, as you can appreciate. You've got graders, payloaders, uh, dump trucks, uh, end dumps, uh, big equipment. And they're trying to get the street as clean as possible because I can tell you we have a lot of folks that tell us how good we do on the cleaning of our streets when we, when we blade and snow plow or we do a full snow removal. And when you go around a car, there's always that chance or a vehicle that your blade, you're trying to judge that. If you've ever ran heavy equipment, you get a pretty good idea that you can see. And as experience goes, you get better at it. But, you, you know, you hit a bump and your greater operator's trying to get the, the blade down on the asphalt without digging up the asphalt, but cut the ice and snow. And then he's trying to watch to make sure he's within two inches of the mirror of the vehicle or the side right. of the vehicle. Um, really challenging. And... Uh, other communities have, other people have come to the community that I've talked to and moved to Lloyd and said, why don't you have a, a parking ban for snow removal? Because it's everywhere else in, in major cities and cities that are trying to get the job done, get the vehicles off the street. So uh, it was brought forward by administration through the policy and basically, so that's coming into effect this year. So today, so basically as, is a, as it was approved yesterday, uh, approved Monday at council, it's going to be 
in play this winter. Now, here's where it gets interesting. We're going to give a year's grace period. We're not going to tow people for a year, but we're going to be discussing this an awful lot, and thanks for bringing it up on the show today. Uh, going forward, there will be notices. They'll be hung that say no parking, snow removal zone. Um, people that live on Priority 1 and 2 streets in particular, Highway 16, which is usually not a problem, or 17, not a problem in most cases, but then we get to the root, uh, secondary routes or Priority 2 routes. That's the school routes, okay? So that's 66th where I live in, near Parkview. That's going to become a no parking zone. So folks in places are going to have to go, oh, I'm going to have to find a place to park my vehicle off the street. When it then. snows. When it snows. And again, we're going to try uh, Now, this is where it's going to get to interesting because in the residential areas, when we come through once, twice, maybe three times if the snow volumes are there to do a full snow removal, that will be 48 hours. For those other folks, when it snows, you better be basically on priority one and two streets, you better be aware that uh, you will likely get a note left on your window and two or three saying your vehicle next year. Yeah, we are moving. This is becoming a designated snow route, and it has been, and it's a, a no parking zone now. Um, you may see street where our administration indicated they're looking at permanent signs for those uh, routes, but that's a process we'll get down to. This is a little bit of a change. So, you know, rather than simply come in and say bang, starting today, we're saying it's there, but we're also giving a year's grace. So this winter you won't get towed, but I can tell you, come the winter of 2024, uh, when it snows in. October, November, December, uh, and they're out plowing, they will be towing. Our bylaw team will be working with in advance, and they'll be one day ahead of the grader and uh, in the plows, and they will be getting vehicles cleared off the street if you haven't moved that. So I think this is one of those steps. We often talk about our city being a, a very, uh, the feel of a small town. This is now making it feel like a, a little more, not that I want to lose that small town feel, but we want to do the best job possible. We want to be, it's the safety. It's the safety of the people in the vehicle for their vehicles, uh, the safety of the equipment operators, because everybody feels bad when somebody, you know, a parking lot ding, you see people put a note saying, here's my phone number, I'll get, I'll pay to get it, take it out, because they feel bad. Our operators and our contractors feel bad about dinging vehicles, but they're trying to do the best job they can, and their first priority is snow removal. How does it affect um, somebody who's not on one of those uh, one or twos, like just a residential area where, like for me, I think the annoying thing is a car is parked for 15 days, you know, and I'm doing the best I can to keep the street cleared, but then somebody doesn't move their vehicle and they go around it and it, it's, and then you always get the bumps that are beside it because they can't get too close. It, it, it kind of eliminates, oh, our, our nice street is now not so nice anymore. But how does it affect those residential streets? Well, so the residential streets, we have the same problem when we do a full snow removal. Our crew goes out and the contractors go out, and if the the vehicles are there, they have to cut around it. So, if you know, sometimes that foot, that snow is up to a foot deep, packed or compacted. Uh, you know, you leave a heck of a rut. I've seen people high-centered after, uh, after the snow crew came through, and there's no there's going to be a little ridge around them as well because it's yeah. the snow is going to break off and however so it it really leads to the quality of uh, it it's an eyesore from the perspective you just got a beautiful clean street and then there's this big lump left um no it's it's a challenge and this has been a challenge that we've heard about for a number of years so it we're, we're moving a step we're moving forward on this and i think that you know people will say well they, they shouldn't be towing my vehicle we're going to be talking about this for a whole year can those vehicles uh, be towed 
Uh, not today, but they will be. They will be. So, so those in, uh, in, in residential, because that's what's going to happen. Uh, just as I say, that's what we call snow clearing or snow removal, the full snow removal. When that happens, uh, the trigger gets pulled and we do the entire city. It start, follows the garbage zones. If you have a garbage day, we won't be there that day because we, we're not going around garbage cans. But we'll move to a different zone and then come back and bang, that crew will be there before at 8 a.m. in the morning and they'll just start plowing. And uh, by law, we'll be follow like if, if you're on garbage day and your vehicle's parked out there chances are you may not find your vehicle there when the end of the, the day of garbage day so let me ask this from the other point of view so if i'm uh if i don't have a driveway and i park on the street all the time um and i see you know within 48 hours my street is going to be getting done is there a way to narrow that down like less than 48 hours so that you know a time frame of, oh, maybe I, I don't want to be home at that time. I'll make, a, I'll make plans to either go shopping if I'm not at work or, or do something. Is there is there a way to narrow it down to maybe a, a three, four, three, four, four hour gap? I wish there was. So here's the, here's the pro, in an ideal perfect world, I'd say yes, but we don't live in a perfect world. Trucks break down, graders break down, wheel loaders break down, snow blowers break down. So what happens is we say we're going to come between one and four, just like a, a, you're making an appointment at a professional mm -hmm. location, be a doctor, accountant, lawyer, and uh, you get there and the door's locked. You're going to be mad because you've made that effort. It's going to be the same thing. Sometimes it's out of the control. Doctor's office, he may or she may have to go and deliver a baby. There might have been a major emergency and they needed extra hands at the hospital, got caught in court for a lawyer. I can make all the different uh, uh, responses that way it uh, we 48 hours is as good and it may even take longer because the important part to remember is when we start doing snow removal we bring contractors in for that as well as city team if for some reason that afternoon and we're scheduled to do one to four and at two o'clock we have one of those major snow dumps again and it just starts snowing our folks are going to get pulled off of that snow removal and head back to number 16 44th and highway 17 first priority get them moving and keep them clean so that's one of the challenges we have it's not an exact science our contractors not one of our contractors are on a full-time retainer from the city in the winter they have contracts to do parking lots and uh, you know the mall and other different things those folks have got to, they're looking after themselves in the winter they've got payments to make on equipment and they want to keep their people as employed as they can be so we work with the contractors as best as we can to ensure that the streets get clean when we do that but there's a relationship and uh, unless people want to pay you know we could hire contractors and if we had no snow I'd be the first person asked why did we pay somebody a contract for fee to keep them on retainer and you didn't need them and it's that it's that catch-22 again that uh, there's just not enough equipment to do everything in one day or one week uh, we know it takes two or three nights just to get downtown cleaned and while we're on this subject I just want to remind people please 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 and it is illegal to push your snow from your driveway onto the street before the snowplow truck uh, the snowplows come or after and that's the one that's that's the even worse because uh, you're pretty much guilty as as charged when uh, the bylaw comes by and goes through streets clean. I've done that. I think a few people have, and I think yeah. it's even occasionally happened at our house. And we just uh, we have this this conversation, and that's uh, why you blow it onto your property somewhere, uh, into the backyard, into the front yard, uh, work with your neighbors. But this is this is a huge challenge because nothing's worse than when our folks have just gone through, plowed a neighborhood, 
cleaned it right up. Got it right down to the asphalt. Oh. And they look down, and then somebody shovels two feet of snow out on the street. Oh, I, I've done it when I've seen them coming. Well, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, they're, 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 they're coming out. tomorrow. Remember, <laughs> remember bylaws out there moving cars, so they, they, they'll, they, they'll catch you red-handed. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, let's switch gears to public transportation. There are four options on the table right now and a second uh, survey that's being uh, done for the uh, city of Lloydminster. Uh, before we get started, does this mean public transportation is coming to Lloydminster in one way or another? I can't answer that officially because that's a decision of council, and I'm only one vote in council uh, from that perspective. We are giving it serious, serious consideration, and that's why that we need people's inputs. Uh, there was a great turnout for the survey. Uh, I want to say thank you to Lloydminster. We've had several surveys and consultants come back to us and say, wow, what's going on in Lloydminster? Your re response rate is so much higher. We had over 2,500 responses to the public transportation survey that started last year, which is terrific. 84% of those people, I believe, drove which was really interesting, right? 80% mm -hmm. uh, supported tra public transportation, I believe, was the number. So it was really interesting statistics. Now, here's where, you know, you take that information and some of the other information that they garnered in the survey, discussions with people, uh, you know, what our t the administration hears regularly from people. They went back with the consultant and said, okay, what's, how do we make something work? And one of the things I've talked about is Maiden Lloyd Mr. Solution. What will work for Lloydminster because it's not going to be what works in Edmonton, Calgary, Red Deer, Lethbridge, uh, Saskatoon. What will work in, in Lloydminster? Um, I appreciate what they brought forward, the on-demand service, because how many people will actually take advantage of uh, public transportation? I really don't know, and that we won't know until we test it uh, and go from there. Also, they looked at options of routes, and certainly there's, uh, we know that people want to go to the grocery store, they want to go and get connected in different places here, there, and, and wherever. So uh, they, they brought forward four options. Certainly each option comes with a cost. And that's, I think, what's also important. And that's a cost that's borne by the taxpayer and the user. Uh, nowhere in Canada that I'm aware of public transportation breaks even. It is a cost, and it's a service that's provided, just like culture and recreation, uh, FCSS, and all the other things the city does outside the items that we are mandated by our, by legislation: water, sewer, roads, fire, and police. We don't that's, have to do public those, transportation. Those, that, uh, we don't have to do public transportation, and that you know that's a bit of discussion. And yet, back to that conversation: Are we a little a small town, or are we a city? Which we know we are a city, but a city that's ready for uh, for public transportation. Our city is unique from many different perspectives, and I can go back to campaigning in 2016 and and uh, hearing this in the 2020 election. People said, "Well." get a job go I got a job get a, go and buy a vehicle you know what it's like uh, there's people shopping for vehicles every day but we also know there's people that can't afford a vehicle or they have one vehicle between two working parents as an example or they have a, a teenager that's also working and, and they're trying to to manage that so it is a bit of a challenge not everybody owns a vehicle um, for various reasons if you've had a health issue and you can't drive but yet you're quite physically fine from the appearance people say well just drive well no I can't so public transportation serves youth 
uh, some of our seniors as well as there's a, a working class that may not have the resources to be able to buy a vehicle. So it's important. I believe we are likely going to see some form of public transportation. Uh, it's a matter of when and how we do it. And that's why the second part of this uh, survey is so important. We need people's input because we want to fully people to fully understand because often I hear, and we talked about this off the show, uh, didn't hear about it. Well, that's why we're trying to bring these matters so mm -hmm. that they get a, a complete airing as best as we can in the community that people are aware, they understand the implications because we deal with this every day at Council. You know, every decision we make has some sort of implication on someone in the city. And in the case of public transportation, it's going to have an impact on every taxpayer in the city. But it's also, you know, talking to business, talking to the chamber. They're, they're hearing from their members. We can't get employees because we can't get them to work. And that's the other challenge. What are we looking at? Because we'll, for some businesses, be able to get a person to work on time for their shift, but we may not be running for that last shift or vice versa, depending if you start... I think they're looking at 6 a.m. starting or in that range. If you need to be at work at 5, public transit may not be the solution to get you to work, but at least you might be able to go home with public transportation and vice versa in the afternoon and evening, depending on when they cut off that time, because we're not going to run 24 hours a day. It just mm -hmm. doesn't, it doesn't work. So there's some different options on the table. Um, one of them was like door-to-door -door service. That's the on-demand. So yeah. some communities have adapted that to start with. And what it does is it gets you a really good idea of what what people, how many riders you have. Because if you could arrange, and when you say door-to-door, -door, it's within, you'll be picked up within the block, right? right? right. Yeah, they pick you up at the corner of 50th and 50th or something like that. But you like don't have that. to walk 500 meters. You don't have to walk 500 meters. Now, uh, and that is a challenge, right? For some, 500 meters is a real stretch if you have mobility issues. We're very fortunate to have Border City Connects in the community. And again, we're figuring out what what service people need and from that perspective going forward. But yeah, it, ideally, but if you're in the city, I, I don't think you'll find, unless you live in front of the bus stop. And uh, at one time we did live, I had a house with a bus stop right in front and that wasn't the best thing in the world either because you finally ended up picking up a little more stuff in your front yard than you usually had to but bottom line is uh, there are if you set up a route there will be bus stops and people will have to walk to those bus stops or figure a method to get to the bus stop because we can't have a bus stop everywhere in town um, one of the things that came up is privatizing it is there still a chance it could be a privatized public? Service? Oh, absolutely. This, there's no, like I say, that's why that, that answer to that first question you asked is public transportation coming. There's still a lot of steps that we need to go through. We're going to look at all the options. There's the economics. There's if someone is interested. But if you can't make money at it, how could a private company make money at it? That's well, what I look at. Well, that's that's bottom line is that they, they can't. And I think that, uh, that it, it's challenging uh, from that perspective. Uh, uh, you know, Border City Connects is a non-profit organization and continue to succeed, but uh, you've seen it, I've seen it, I've been involved, I've even jumped in a tank once or twice of cold, ice cold water to raise money to put tires on some of those units and Fred North has always been there to support to make sure that I got in the water and I said, Fred, bring your checkbook. So, Fred, if you're listening, we can have that conversation again sometime in the near future. But bottom line is that it, it is an option. It may be something that uh, somebody says, hey, I think we can, and I, I'm not going to, but 
it, with true public transit, that's where I think that's that difference. Because when you, st- you know, that serve a level of service, um, that's really what it comes down to, from that perspective. Because I know I've driven in Edmonton, Calgary, Saskatoon, even Cold Lake. Those are big buses, and yeah, there's peak times, seven thirty till nine thirty in Edmonton. I think is their peak time, and then from four thirty till six thirty. But you know, you can't just shrink the bus. That's the problem that they run into. And it really became very uh, evident during COVID for those municipalities with with those extensive systems. Wow, like they were less than 20% ridership. So, you know, again, what do we design that fits Lloydminster? One ton bus? Very possibly. 20 passenger might be plenty big. Might even be a caravan or it could be a 16 passenger van that we've seen run around, panel van. So, you know, there's some options that need to be looked at because you don't have to put a washroom in it. It's not like going to Edmonton or going to Saskatoon. So there's, there's, I think that there's a lot of work to be done by administration, the consultant that we have hired, uh, as well as input from the community. And again, back to that need for people to take the time. Those surveys are available online or you can pick one up at City Hall, a paper copy if you're not online. I do understand that, and we'd love to hear your comments. One of the things that I think about when I think about public transportation is how much um, we're hearing about the dangers of public transportation now in big cities. Edmonton, and Toronto. It's become a real. It, it's it's become a real problem. Like it, it has. It has. And so, would you be taking on a whole another? Uh, set of problems to go to public transportation, <laughs> Gerald. Excuse have you me. guys have you guys talked about that? Or we haven't. That? I'll be honest. That I, okay. I, I'm sure that'll come out in the consultant's report. Okay. Uh, from that perspective, you know, back to that that safety in the community, taken very very seriously, and certainly uh, there's pieces that will come with with time. I'm sure, but you're absolutely right. It has become a huge challenge on the metros, on the uh, the go uh, the trains as well as the buses. And again, the later in the evening you go, some of those problems start to show up, darkness and things like that. So uh, it is something that we're going to have to be aware of and certainly be cognizant of as we move forward. And uh, again, the safety of both the riders, the the operator, and uh, the whole community is always on top of mind. And that's one of the questions on the survey is what time would you use this? The other thing that comes up is cost. Now, I looked at... Um, some of the costs, they vary between 3 and I think 7% tax yeah. increase. Is that individual or is that community-wise? Are we looking that, at a 7% increase community-wide? Community-wide, yeah. That, Does that uh, translate into a 7% increase individually? Uh, well, basically, and this goes on each and every tax year, depending on the value of your property. So your property goes up a little bit, right. you'll pay uh, you pay a little more. If your your property goes down, you may pay a little less. But yeah, that's the numbers that uh, the consultant administration brought forward was to give us some sense because it's not a free service, as I said. So, you know, would we be like to be below 3% to bring in the, the on-demand service? Absolutely. But let we have to be realistic. And there's, you know, they went to the far extent, and I'm glad they did. Purchasing new units and all the things, and there was questions about operational costs. There's all sorts of opportunities. Public, uh, uh, public transportation operated by the city or a non, uh, non-profit or for-profit 
could look at sponsorship. You want to put a wrap on your bus? I want to advertise. Hey, uh, you can see some smiling faces from TV or radio on that bus go by every day. There's there's value. Uh, is there a fuel supplier that's willing to say, hey, it's a non-profit. We're willing to give a little bit of a cut to, to their fuel. Things like that. There's so many pieces, but let's be honest. Uh, I appreciate administration and the consultant. They brought this is the maximum. It could always be less, but be prepared for the maximum. What's the next step? So basically, we get the surveys filled in and get people talking about it, get the discussion in the community. Yeah, they'll gather that up, they'll bring it back, and they'll build a report. And then they'll come to council, and I suspect there will be four options, and they'll ask council for direction as to where we see and sense the community wants to go with it from that perspective. Um, Do you have a timeline? It will be in the new year. I would suspect, uh, I don't recall exactly the date they gave us, so I'm going to say January, February give or take uh, it won't they'll be working on the report in December and uh, hopefully we'll have an answer in the new year but then something like this doesn't get set up in a day or two or a week so uh, would it happen in 2024 uh, it's a possibility it might be early 2025 because again we got to budget some money for this and I don't believe it's in the in the uh, they've brought it forward in the 2024 budget but we'll see that here in another week as well or a week and a half at City Council so uh, stay tuned you see this when you do the survey as well but a lot of people say just buy a bus and start doing it it's not that simple you got to have two buses at least <laughs> you because you need have to have three. Oh, okay. so if you have two buses on the road you have to have a spare because what happens to that right. if, if one of one, number one or two bus break down the people that are depending on that bus there's no bus so you have to have at least one spare and hope that fingers crossed so yeah I saw some of those comments and I appreciate it. I won't name anybody in particular he says I'm gonna go out and buy a bus I said well I welcome to it welcome you to it but uh, the bus is the cheap part and this is what really as a municipal politician sometimes there have municipal elected official and our federal and provincial uh, politicians politicians get, uh, the federal government's made money available to buy buses, and a lot of communities have bought buses. I talked to the uh, uh, town of Whitecourt, Alberta. They started with two small school buses, developed their own route, and the federal government came along and said, hey, we'll buy you a bus. So they bought a bus, they bought two buses, they bought three buses. Well, their costs have gone up dramatically because those are bigger buses. They are one purpose. They are handicapped accessible. They're 33 passenger, beautiful bus. Uh, haven't heard from a counselor in Whitecourt that I teased. I said, when you're done, when you can't afford them anymore, let me know. We'll buy them for 50 grand, maybe, and we can maybe we have our own bus service. But you know, we joke about this jokingly, but we don't want anything to fail from that perspective in a community. But the problem is, the feds will get us the bus, but where's the bus barn? Where's the tires? Where's the diesel fuel? Where's the driver? Where's the benches? And where's their benches? Where's the repairs? And when that bus is wore out, you're not making money. Who buys the new $250,000 bus or $200,000 bus or whatever it is? So there's always so much more. And the term I've started to use is what's around the, the other side of the curve. We're going into the curve and we see that part. But what's on the back side of the curve that's going to jump out and get us? Yeah. And you mentioned benches, shelters. Yeah. Those all cost money. Would, the, would there be, if something is adopted, would there be a trial period? 
the one of the thoughts, and this is always, I, I'm all for a pilot project, personally. That's my first thought. Uh, I've been reminded by many people that uh, once you start something, it's pretty hard to cancel it. <laughs> so, uh, so you got to be like pretty say, sure. You got to be pretty sure. Um, you know, I guess that uh, I would still love, uh, personally, like I say, I'd love to try a pilot project and see. The problem is, when do we do it? Because summertime, it's great. It's the, it's the best time to year, but students won't be riding the bus in July and August to the high schools because they don't personally right. get, they don't currently get busing service. So do you start in September and you run till February? Well, what about those poor folks when you cut her off in February and they go, holy, there's still two more months of winter, at least in Canada. Uh, how am I getting there? So that's one of the challenges. Do we pilot it for one full year? But you just don't rent buses for a day or a week or a month. So there's there's some factors that we need to take into account. And again, do we look to then try and acquire some used buses, get things going? Who's going to work for us for a year or work for whoever's operating the system for a year and say, oh, I don't think there's a guaranteed job. You can go through drivers like uh, oh, other yeah. things. So there's, there's so many pieces to this puzzle that, as you said, I'm going to buy a bus and we'll just get it started. That's the easy part. That is the absolute easy part. Well, I'll be interested to know what, what size of bus is recommended, too, because I don't think you need 33 passenger no, buses. No, I, 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 I really believe we're likely going to be in that maximum 20 range, give or take. Uh, but, you know, let's see if, uh, you know. Do they have to be wheelchair accessible as well? Well, that's because the other, have border city we connects. have Border City Connects, and that's something that needs to be discussed. And uh, I'm sure some people will ask that question in the survey, and there'll be some work done on that. What happens to Border City Connects? Yeah. A great organization have been and continue to do work each and every day. And, and they, what they've come up with in, in seven years that I've been mayor is incredible uh, from that perspective. So, no, I I don't want to personally. I don't want to see Border City Connects leave, and they have a they have a fit in our community and. Uh, if they can grow that fit, that'd be terrific. Housing has become a huge issue right across the country. We're lucky in Lloyd that we don't have, um, like, uh, if you talk to a real estate agent, they'll tell you there's people from Calgary want to move to Lloyd Minster because their $300,000 in Calgary is going to get them a buy level, maybe. And that buy level might not be in great shape. But if you come to Lloyd Minster, a $300,000 house, you're looking at a pretty decent house. Absolutely. Um, we don't have those half a million dollar or those million dollar properties that are on every street. Um, but housing is a concern here because we see homelessness. We see the people in tents. We see them around. What's happening at City Hall to as we get colder to look at housing projects? Is it a concern in Lloyd Minster as it is everywhere else? It is a concern, Kurt. Um, you know, again, conversations with a variety of people from one far reach to the left to the far reach to the right from views uh, from, well, get a job, buy a house. Seems fairly simple and direct, uh, and I wish we had that opportunity for everybody. For others... Have you seen oh, interest rates? Not that easy. <laughs> not that easy. <laughs> the other problem is, what does someone need? And what I, I encourage people to open their minds up when we have this conversation, because it's my mind is certainly... Uh, I've broadened my perspective on a whole bunch of things, from these tiny houses right through to the million-dollar homes that we have in our city and other cities. Uh, what someone wants what they need, what they can afford, what they really, you know, people that can afford and have gone to m many houses or some of these little houses because they've said, hey, I need a place to be able to sleep, 
eat, cook, I can entertain who's coming to my house and that's all I need. And you know, living in 400 square feet is kind of like going back to a bachelor apartment in, in your day and my day, I yeah. bet, where you folded out Seemed the couch. pretty good at the time. Yeah, but. Exactly. That was a great start. But, you know, from that perspective, so yes, we do have a concern about homelessness. It's on city council's radar. It's in city administration's radar. This is where we go into that zone again. And I kind of, I'm going to look back to our federal and provincial governments. I talked about our responsibilities as municipal leaders. Then there's some responsibilities at the provincial and federal level and homelessness, uh, social services, uh, human services fall into the province mostly with support with the federal government. And, you know, we often get challenged, well, what's the city doing? And the city, first of all, we've got a great team of the city that have been working to help coordinate to ensure that our various nonprofit organizations are communicating well and not duplicating services because the last thing we want to do is have somebody running uh, a warming centre here and a warming centre there and another one over here from that perspective. Uh, ensuring that there's good communication between the, the non-profits and the government, helping uh, ensure that they, as they put grant applications together, they're putting the best foot forward to try and obtain provincial or federal funding if there's funding available. So we have the men's shelter, we have Interval Home, we have other organisations, non-profit organisations that... Uh, support the community in various ways. The Olive Tree, Residence in Recovery, uh, the Native Friendship Center, just to start name a few, and there's more yet. Uh, groups that just operate literally out of their own personal vehicles and deliver sandwiches on the evening to make and blankets to make sure that people are, are okay. So we know that uh, there's challenges going into winter. There always has been. Last year, there was a warming shelter that was created specifically for homeless that didn't fit into any category. Uh, um, and it wasn't the best example and the best experience for both those folks as well as uh, the, the, the residents and commercial around them from that perspective. So uh, I know that the men's shelter, or the, the uh, social coalition that operates the men's shelter have been in contact. They are working on some things. One of the challenges that comes back to the city is around bylaws. And we didn't have our bylaws quite uh, to, to the tune where we needed to be to do the proper planning. So that has come to council yesterday, sorry, again on Monday uh, for their first reading. It will be coming back. There'll be a public hearing uh, talking about it, designated some areas specifically for that. Uh, the different zones in the city where uh, a warming centre uh, could be set up from that perspective. So we're trying, but in the same token, we're also communicating with the provincial government and the federal government and ensuring that there's good communications with those non-profits. Uh, Housing First was a proposal we heard from the Olive Tree on Monday um, you know it is so so important and I often uh, they're tied often with mental health and addiction but if we can get somebody into a stable warm shelter hopefully uh, followed by getting them treatment if that's what they need or they just need shelter because as you said Kurt uh, the interest rate you, mortgage payments have literally doubled I understand rent's gone up, rent's gone up. Um, not as much here no but, but in other it affects. So it depends. If you're on a fixed income, it's yep. been challenging, and uh, you know this is this is one of those things that we wrestle with each and every day at council as well. And I know people, you know, whenever there's a tax increase, well, the council made it, it just did it. Well, I can tell you, there is one or two sleepless nights. And uh, uh, again, I'll bring up Councillor Ken Baker. Still speaks to me in my ear occasionally, and uh, he's there on that shoulder saying, "What about the people on fixed income and seniors?" It's always there. The challenge is, I don't have that 
that solution and we don't control their uh, your, your CPPs, uh, social assistance or, or old age security. If you're on social assistance, you've got a disability and you can't work as hard as you want or you can't work. It, it's challenging for those people on fixed incomes and there's no simple solution. This is one of the, uh, the, the challenges that I wrestle with each every, every day and there's just, I don't have an answer yet. When I do, trust me, I'll share it if I get to that point. I should maybe know this answer, but I don't. Is there currently a warming center in Lloyd? There is not a, an actual, so the men's shelter, the men's, yeah, I know the, yeah, yeah. but there's not an actual from that perspective. So uh, we're, we're working towards that. So that's through the bylaw and be able to uh, do it properly. With and, other charities, uh, so, maybe? Uh, with, the, with the charities, working with the different organizations. Thanks, Gerald. Is there anything else that you wanted to to touch on before I let you go? Well, um, another item that we're going to be uh, tomorrow night there at the Service Sports Centre is the land use bylaw is also underway, uh, a review of the bylaw. So some time ago, about a year ago, we had a long, quite a lengthy discussion with people about the municipal development plan because the city had annexed land. Uh, the, la the, the plan had to be updated. So we went through that process. The next step is the land use bylaw law is also in need of a, a, a tune-up, I'd call it, from that perspective. And I just want people to realize that, um, you know, we're not trying to upset the apple cart and change the ways the city operates. Bottom line is, without good planning, and, I, and this is what I've learned in seven years as mayor, without doing some good planning, you could end up in a situation where you have a single detached home. You could have a million-dollar home with a bi-level beside it, with a fourplex next to it, if you don't have good planning. Isn't that what we have now? In some cases, we there do. is examples. Yeah. There is examples of that, and you're right. And we want to try to avoid that. There's also times when bylaws, uh, things change. And back to the many homes, like the miniature homes. Somebody wanted to build a 400 square foot house. Would you want that beside your million and a half dollar home? Maybe not. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't be considered somebody's tool shed if and mm -hmm. all that, jokingly of course but bottom line is that we want to try and ensure that as things move forward now as you said and that's a good example often run into this when a business moves or somebody moves and says well that was good where at my old house because that was built and operated under the old bylaws and what happens is those bylaws in essence your grandfather as long as you're there that was the rules you have to operate on but if a new business comes down the rules will be different for you to potentially have to follow because the bylaw has been updated. You're not and, grandfathered uh, in. You're not grandfathered in. And it, it's a challenge because, uh, you know, from business to business, well, they're doing it. Why can't I? Because they follow under that rule. And as you can imagine, I remember that happened other with the strippers a few years ago. You remember that? <laughs> you weren't on count. You weren't there. But there was. There was. You're but it was grandfathered it, it was, in. There, it was grandfathered in. So the, the, with the strippers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good, you know, <laughs> you always have to come up with something that gives well, me. I, a, I remember. It took, it took me away on that one, uh, from that perspective. But the the challenge is, it's the other way as well. Could you imagine? Just because a new business moves down the street, you have to do a major change of your operation because just because somebody new is down the street. So it, it's one of those, again, imperfect systems that we have. But if we don't plan, 
you, you, you never plan, how's it going? You never plan to fail, but you can fail to plan. And that's really applicable in this case. So I'd encourage people to come out if you're wondering about the land use bylaw, what is it, what's entailed. Um, in seven years, I've long, I believe we've done 50 amendments to that bylaw already. I think that's the number that uh, I got from planning in seven years as this council. And so and that's been there prior to our council. So uh, there's some things there that, that need, to, need to be updated. And we want to try and ensure because uh, the warming center, warming shelter was not in there. It's never been in there. That's what's interesting, and and some things like that. Plus locations. Again, uh, the examples we've had. We've had we had an application for hair, a hairdresser or a salon in an industrial setting. Is that a really good idea? We didn't think it was, and that it wasn't approved. But you know, that's set back to the commercial. Do you want a commercial? Do you want uh, industrial right beside it? Do you want a residential? Those you want are a restaurant uh, right uh, there. Exactly. Yeah. You know, there's convenience factors, but there's also the long term. And I, I look at various parts of our city, and you can see that as our growth went, this happened. And Highway 17 South. This is the best example I can give. We've got residential mixed with industrial, uh, commercial. Don't, I don't think they're industrial settings, but could have been and it was just the way the city developed and you know where are we going I don't know but we want to be planning for the next 30 to 50 years so that as you look at the city and go hey it naturally kind of flows you yeah. go from residential to commercial to industrial and usually don't find too much commercial or residential behind industrial you know as we see in the north end here but those kind of things where where does it fit best in the long term because uh, you know there's examples in our community and I won't name them but you know people say why did that end up there I can't explain it, but that's where it ended up. But uh, again, as long as I have the opportunity to serve as mayor, and I believe the council members of the day uh, serve, their view is we want to try and do, leave the city in a better space than we when we found it. So, yeah, you've lived in other places. I haven't lived in too many places, <laughs> but one thing I notice in uh, that Lloydminster doesn't have that a lot of places have: convenience stores located in residential areas. I, I'm all curious why that never really happened here. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen a red rooster try and come to yep. town, and it's going to be in this location. It doesn't last. Yeah, it, that's, that's really interesting. And, and But you look at it now, and I look at uh, over on 75th. There's a store over in 75th on the far west side. There's one on the far south side now. Uh, and you're talking the, about uh, where the gas station is? Yeah, the gas the, station. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, you know, West End Girls, it was really sad to see that go. And it was. Best yeah. fried chicken in town, if I can yeah, talk about that. Yeah, it was sad to see that. Pretty darn good, yeah. uh, but you know, I think we the have, city did some construction around there. Uh, there was, uh, there was, uh, yeah, with uh, when that crossing closed, with a, when ADM closed that private crossing, that right. kind of right. that that had an that effect there. Big. There are some other name brand convenience stores in the city. Yeah, it's uh, from that perspective. But now we see uh, uh, we've seen developments on the very north end with a convenience store on the very far uh, east end or near the east end of the city. And now on the south end, uh, so it's it's. It's kind of coming back, but again, it is, it's not uh, the population wise and back to, you know, I can go to any four major grocery stores in less than five to 10 minutes to go and get a jug of milk. So do you go to the, yeah. you go to the convenience store or if you're going to pay more um, potentially uh, versus the grocery store? We won't always say that. I think the convenience stores do try and compete because they realize they, if they want to do business, they've got to be competitive, but it's just where are you at at the time? Um, one thing did just pop into my mind here. Um, yesterday we talked about uh, construction downtown. 
that's right on schedule to be finished so, here very it's been a rough go for those it's businesses been, it has been uh certainly we have kept the access open as long as we could to i think every store uh in the last week you saw sidewalks come out as they were trying to finish so we time frame wise we're likely a couple weeks to not where we want it to be uh, they're working today they'll be working continuously to get uh, the soil down for uh, the that's going to be underneath the concrete for the trees and things like that uh, there will be some things that are unfinished but access to businesses in the next week to week and a half I hope will be completed with a side that each business can be accessed uh, and the street will be open hopefully within two weeks yeah give or take everything that's well, got to happen there's still some wiring that needs to go to the lights I believe on 50th and 50th uh, from that perspective we won't have all the final landscaping done and all the concrete that we wanted but the streets will be open and passable does the city do anything for those businesses like they've had a rough goal they've we've tried to accommodate by we provided uh, a combination of things so signage was the first thing we did make a grant available to help them relocate during the construction if they needed to take out a temporary location somewhere else. I can give you examples. We could move the, the Prairie North Health Plaza. You could move CIBC. Right. Some of the other businesses there had the choice to, to, and it wouldn't cover their total cost. One of the challenges that uh, every city and community faces, city, town, village, when they tear up a water line, a sewer line, you're replacing 60-year-old infrastructure and the requirements today have changed dramatically. Three to one slope on getting down in the hole. If we're going to do it, in this case, we did it all. We did water, sewer, stormwater in the bottom. Then we followed up by we're going to do some major improvements on the surface from that perspective. The concern, and I'll be honest, is where do we start to give, um, in essence, tax concessions or tax breaks to businesses? Because if if your water line breaks and we it takes us two weeks to fix it uh, well what's that compared to right. this so this is a cost that everybody bears you if you're having your street repaired and I've heard from people in residential you know I had to block a park a block away well it's here's that challenge if we don't fix the water lines sooner or later there will be no water running to your business it will there will be a water break sooner or later and in the middle of winter that's not very much fun uh, and hopefully it gets they do it right in ground but then it's going to leave a rough spot for the next five months until the paving crew can get there hopefully in may or june because you want to let that settle the frost come out of the ground and do it they'll do a temporary and we do that even in the winter we'll do a temporary fix and then people call and say well when are you coming to fix the street it sank two feet or it sank a foot and a half because the frost came out and everything that way so it's it's challenging i wish we had that magic bullet and just say oh we can give you tax free but uh, it, you know a lot of businesses have pivoted and done a great job of, of being able to accommodate if your business had a back door people have been using their back door to get customers in and, and those kind of things we've heard about security absolutely and safety and we've tried to be as reasonable with the efforts to get the job done because at the end of the day to get the work done 
it sometimes has some disruptive. Can't imagine being in a dentist chair and having the dentist work <laughs> on you and then the compactor packing beside you. But as an example, but uh, this is uh, every community faces this, and we t uh, as mayors and councillors, we hear uh, we talk to other councils and go, yeah, like, this is uh, when because uh, I could take it to so many more steps when we close downtown for the parade businesses uh, don't do get to do business for anywhere from four to six hours so do we give a concession because we're holding the parade that day and it's it's that relationship and the benefit and the benefit because I hope I truly hope and I can say this here and I'm not going to be married 60 years that that street makes 60 years as uh, 50 to 60 years before we have to do that that painful process again and hopefully we won't even end but we're replacing items that just have their, the end of life. And that's why people ask, and I, I had some folks ask me the other day, well, you got to this end, when are you going to do this next block? Well, that, that's about a million dollars in the residence, what uh, residential areas um, in the downtown, this one was significantly more. It's about $4.4 million to do that block completely with everything we've done. The good news, here's the good news, we've crossed 50th. So it, we can go the next block over and 50th is open north-south if we go east-west. West. Then if we go north-south, then we'll have a whole different conversation and that'll be up to uh, seeing what administration brings forward from that perspective because we started at the headwaters. Everybody asked, why did you start where you started? Everything that flows and the piping is designed in a certain way. We tied into the main connection going out to the water treatment uh, for the water to coming in for fresh water uh, or treated water for our sewage as well as our storm water to go out. That's why we did what we did. And like I say, it affected 50th. I've talked to several business owners and you know they, they appreciate what's being done. They've been patient. They've shared their frustrations, and, and we've tried to accommodate as best as we can. Our team, I think we've got city staff down there just about every day uh, visiting the businesses once a week through the economic development team. We're trying to, uh, trying to assist where we can and make sure that information is made available, kept them up to date on the progress. And, you know, uh, I stopped and talked to a couple businesses on Friday afternoon when I got back to the city, got a tour to see where we were at, and stopped in a few businesses. And, you know, People said, just get it done. And we are, we are going to get it done as best as we can. And when we pick it up in the spring, uh, hopefully it will be, you know, one side of the street will be down for a week while we finish up. Then they'll still be able to go through it down that street on one side and hopefully flip to the other side and give us a couple weeks in the spring and get it cleaned up. Thanks, Gerald. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thanks very much for the opportunity. We'll be back with you Halloween and uh, nothing spooky here. Uh, we're going to be back here at the Lloydminster Exhibition at the uh, Stockade Roundup. Yes, and I will be popping in for it sometime. My schedule's a little bit busy that week, uh, but uh, no, it'll be great to welcome the cattle producers, not just local. The number of people I, I run into that I've known for a long time you know, throughout Saskatchewan and Alberta uh, that are here for that show. We've got some premium livestock, folks. It just it, the, the breeding stock in this area is tremendous. Our ranchers and farmers do a great job, and it's great to see them use the facility and gather here to showcase what their, their, their fine work has done. It opens up in uh, on Tuesday, Tuesday evening. We're going to be out here Tuesday to set that up for you, and we'll look forward to that. Thanks again, Gerald. Thank you.